Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. Today, we're honored to chat with Victoria Goss, one of the pioneers in equine rescue. Victoria founded the Last Chance Corral, one of Ohio's first formal equine rescues. Last Chance Corral is indeed one of the pioneering organizations in the state dedicated to rescuing, rehabilitating horses, and particularly nursemaid foals from the racing industry. Its founder, Victoria Goss, has been instrumental in establishing and shaping the equine rescue landscape in Ohio for 40 years. Today, we delve into Victoria's journey and the incredible work of Last Chance Corral in providing sanctuary and hope to the nursemaid foals. A side note, as incomprehensible as it is to me, I have gotten some pushback in helping a foal rescue. The controversy should never be around rescuing a foal. It should be around the reason the foals need rescuing in the first place. Maybe you will find your next endurance prospect waiting to be adopted at the Last Chance Corral in Athens, Ohio. Without further ado, I bring to you episode 62 of Endurance Horse Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Victoria. Howdy. That was perfect. <laughs> Good. Oh, <laughs> what a day. Yeah, well, um, tomorrow morning we're going for the first full. I'll be leaving out around dawn to go get the first five. So that's kind of exciting, the opening. And they're older babies. The season starts out with some older foals that were born before the demand for them, and then they get younger and younger as the season goes on. So I just had a few questions for you. Yeah. As long as they're not math. They are not math. I, math is not my friend either. Um, oh, excellent. We're going to get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm uh, honored to be in your presence. You've done a lot of great things for a lot of different organizations, and I'm fortunate enough to say that I am included in those numbers. Well, we were so happy to learn about Last Chance Corral and to find out some of the horses doing our War Horse Endurance Challenges were actually from Ohio, from your brood of babies that you get every year. And I know, it, it's, it's amazing. amazing. It is amazing. And last... Well, look, that we put out, you know, that we would average 150 to 200 foals a year for almost 40 years now, maybe. Maybe it wow. is 40 years. That's a lot of babies out there. You know, when a lot of things were shut down is when we started War Horse Endurance and the challenges. And I was out trail riding and they had been closing down our forests and we weren't even allowed to do that. And I ran into a rider and she said, come to my house, I have trails. And so I had hauled to her house one day and she starts telling me about her paint mare and how it came from your place. So it was yeah. it was shortly after talking to her because we didn't do valor the first year we did it the second year i had seen some things about last chance corral and then i met her baby that was one of your babies so it was that wow that is a small small world yeah and where was that that in eagle wisconsin um okay her name is lynn and she's an artist and a jeweler so she okay yeah yeah i remember she made us some jewelry for a fundraiser 
She's pretty talented, and she loves that horse. It's wonderful because, you know, when I first initially found out about them, I ended up moving out here from New England to be, I loved it. I first came to Athens when I was at school in Ithaca, New York, and met somebody from Athens, and I became close friends with a vet here. And when I found out about all these foals over the border in Kentucky that were just being killed or left to die, that I, I guess I felt responsible, like somebody's got to do something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not a new practice. It's just that it wasn't ever exposed and a lot. And it's mostly, you know, due to thoroughbred racing. Anybody can lease a nurse mare. If your backyard paint, you know, didn't have milk or she died or she rejected the foal, you can hire a nurse mare. But when I speak to the nurse mare farmers, and it's a big business in Kentucky, you know, 90 to 95% is what they say, go to thoroughbreds because of how the breeding occurs. Do you want to know more about that? So I did have several questions in order, okay. and, and you kind of started to touch on them, actually. So the first one was, when did you become passionate about rescuing horses in general? Because I know that while you're well known for these foals, you also deal with adult horses. Oh, yeah. So when when did that first walk into your life? Well, there were always horses in my life. I grew up in on a farm uh, on the New Hampshire-Vermont border, and we had dairy cows, all jerseys. And all, there was always, you know, a horse or two around. Of course, there were six daughters in the family. I'm the only one that actually stuck with it, though. Got my very first pony, you know, when I was in probably the second or third grade. But I did my first horse rescue uh, when I was 12 years old. We went to a farm to look at some cattle that were very thin. They wanted my father to come and assess their condition. And there was this starving big old horse there. And uh, I asked the guy what he wanted for it. <laughs> he said, well, the killer was going to give me 50 bucks. And I said, I'll give you 50 bucks. And they got it into a trailer. And when they got it to my house, we had to slide it out of the trailer. He was in such bad shape. Hmm. And that $50 was all the money I had to my name. And I fattened him up. And I got him going good and sold him to a friend for $100 and put that $100 into the account for the next horse that would need me. And it was just an idea that I had. Nobody, I'd never heard of horse rescue before. Then as I was in my 20s, I was working with, I was riding horses for people. And I was working with a lot of behavioral problem horses. And there were more and more of them that, you know, were handled poorly. There are very few bad horses. They've just been handled inappropriately by people who didn't speak the language, you know. There was definite language barriers. And as I did more and more of that, and there are dog shelters and cat shelters in almost every community, but no large animal shelters. There there were none. And I started doing what I do. By 30, I was full-blown tax-exempt organization. Uh, It was not easy to get because there previously were no horse rescues. But now there's plenty of them. They're everywhere. There's a lot of opportunity in any field of nonprofit for charlatans to Mm -hmm. make money. But if you saw how I live, in my little log cabin, built the full barn onto it so that we could be with them because it's 24-hour care. You might be out Mm -hmm. there 
worked all night doing IV fluids and feeding tubes, blood transfusions, oxygen, the whole nine yards. And I'm blessed with having my best friend be my vet. And she lives nine-tenths of a mile away. So she gets to be here. When she closes her clinic, she comes here and does her second clinic. (laughs) (laughs) So can you educate our listeners? Most of the listeners of this podcast are either doing endurance or they used to do endurance or they're, they're looking at getting into endurance. And they may be... Um, just like a lot of horse people have no, have no, no experience or even heard of endurance, maybe our endurance riders haven't ever heard of what a nurse mare is. Can you tell us? Yeah, absolutely. This is how it goes. What what drives this industry is thoroughbred breeding. A thoroughbred racehorse cannot race in this country unless it was conceived through live cover. The stallion and the mare have to get together physically no shipping of semen, etc. A horse has an 11-month gestation, right? Right. Right. So, now, let's just call her Mrs. Racehorse. Her job is to put a racehorse baby on the ground every year. It's an 11-month gestation. By the time that foal is two and needs to become competitive, you can't have had it born later in the year. You want it born as close to January 1st as you can get. But it's got the advantage of all that extra growth, right? The mayor has her foal, Mrs. Racehorse, little secretariat, and little secretariat uh, is, is doing fine. But then his mother will, before she hits that foal, you know, nine days, she's got to go to the stallion, and the foal cannot go with her. They're not welcome. It's too dangerous, and they can't insure them on that trailer ride. Mm-hmm. So the foal needs somebody to take care of it because by the time mom, Mrs. Racehorse, gets back from being bred, her milk will have dried up and they would prefer all her energy going into the production of next year's baby. Okay. Oh, little secretariat needs somebody and they hire a nurse mare. The nurse mare had its own baby, so it came into milk. That baby is considered a byproduct at that time. And historically, they were just, you know, nobody wanted them because horses are very difficult to raise. And and they're not just newborns. A lot of them are induced labor preemies. Mm. It's very difficult the first couple weeks with these guys. Um, And I know people are going to be saying, but you can bring a mare into milk with hormones. You know, it, it can be medically done if she's already had foals in the past. Well, you've got to, that comes with its own set of problems, mainly that the human is going to have to do the process. You're going to have to give them the shots, and it's expensive compared to doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, these mares have to come back. If they weren't bred before they were hired, they have to come back in full, and they're going to some pretty damn fancy Farms, You know, not everybody can afford a nurse mare and hiring 20 or 30 or 40. Um, so they a lot of times are covered with, they will use some of the stallions that are learning their trade, and they'll practice on nurse mares. Mm-hmm. So we've had some pretty well-bred uh, daddies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of our foals have turned out to be champions in every field. Uh, the number one amateur eventer in the country last year was one of my foals that I raised until he was four. 
So, but back to the the subject. That's how they're they're only a byproduct. And but when I started, there wasn't a lot of good information on, you know, saving these things. And when I started, I was told by the vets if I if I only lost forty percent, I was doing really good. Mm-hmm. And our mortality rate stands today at two point five, I think. Maybe some years three. We don't lose very many, but it's. I've become the thing that I'm famous for, and when I'm gone, I'll be remembered as the queen of diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> it's the number one thing that kills them is the dehydration. Yeah. And I've I've just become a really good diarrhea per- person. <laughs> to manage it. Yep. It's my life. Yeah funny in the barn yeah we have descriptions all these different you know is it pudding poop is it like a milkshake is it like so that we know what to and i make my own special poop medicine from several other products and it really works good mm-hmm. but we do have to you know you've got to monitor them and it's a lot of medicine when they get adopted they've got to go to homes that know what they're doing mm-hmm. they're not for beginners you've got to have somebody who can look at a horse and see that there is something wrong, a lot of awareness and knowledge of the language, and a pretty good nutritional and medical background is also a big help. So I think this is on topic, but maybe slightly off topic. Am I wrong in asking that if the jockey club just allowed artificial coverage like every other breed, that this would dry up? Totally on topic because it's pretty much one of the three factors but the biggest one that pushes the other ones. You're going to take, if you can take and collect from a stallion and create 20 or 100 or 200 ampules, it takes away the exclusivity. And when you look at a horse like Stormcat, who at one point was making $500,000 a pop, and it took him 28 seconds Mm -hmm. to do the deed, there's a book that was written called The Most Expensive 30 Seconds in Sports about uh, racehorse breeding. Mm-hmm. It's a really good book. But Stormcat, you know, he was one of a few. And then after a certain amount of time, he dropped down to 300000 And I think he may have even passed now. But if you can divide that semen up and send it, you're going to drive the price down. And anything bad that happens with animals because of human intervention in a negative way is all because of money. And if you can make $500,000 a shot with your stallion, you're not going to spread that around and make it, you know, $20,000. But I'm just thinking from a business perspective here, if you only did limited offerings, I mean, these are all businessmen, they should be able to come up with a better way, like saying, you know, we stand to a limited book, even though it's AI, we only offer 50 or 100 per year. And then, I mean, let's just say you said secretariat. So if the if the racing industry, it seems like they're missing opportunity, because what if there were still... It's a slippery slope. Yeah. You know, that... And then, you know, well, what if somebody, you have to do all the blood work? I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't. There are, mm-hmm. in my opinion, more reasons why they would. Um, but I can't speak to that mentality because I'm not in that business. 
right? And I can make observations. It's just me thinking out loud that, um, let's say they did own a secretariat and they did collect and they only offered a hundred bookings per year, and then that yeah. horse, and then that horse did pass, um, and they had frozen semen and every oh, other. You can bet they've got frozen semen on all mm. the great horses. <laughs> so Barbaro, they. Mm-hmm. Collected off of him and froze a bunch. But they if, they, can't use if, it if they can't use it yet. So to me, it just seems like it would be a step into the modern world to go ahead and do AI. Because, you know, we've registered horses, uh, say, Turkeners, we've registered them. And you have to pull DNA off the horse to find oh, yeah, the parentage. And it would seem that it would do that. But mm-hmm. if you're addressing kind of an old boys club in Kentucky... Right. I, I can't say why they do things the way they do it doesn't make sense. Sure. You know, a lot of the bad things that happen to animals I don't think are based in black-heartedness. They're based in a form of ignorance, whether it's generational ignorance. The the way that they are uh, working down in Kentucky is maybe they do things the way it's always been done. Yes. To educate people. And educating mm-hmm. human is very difficult, especially if they've got their mind set. Mm-hmm. against it. it. It takes a lot of the experiences one-on-one that I've had with people to educate them to what's really happening. Mm-hmm. No, you call this nurse mare farm and oddly enough, they have a mare who just lost her foal when you ordered one. That No, that's not what happened. It wasn't convenient that you are responsible for the death of that animal. He was only created so that he would be snuffed out so that you could lease that mare. So a few of them, you know, they've stood up and been accountable. Um, uh, Sir Bread Charities of America helped me to build my full barn. And it's got, you know, the steel walls because everything's got to be completely sanitized. sanitized all the time. And wood is too porous. There are thoroughbred organizations and there are breeders who now they will only use nurse mares that were brought into milk hormonally. That's Changes progress. can be made. They don't ever happen, or so it seems, as quickly as one would like. And it takes a lot of effort, but there are less foals being produced, at least that I know of. I might have closed a few doors with my opinions, mm-hmm. uh, but the farms that I work with, I've, I'm working with this one farm in particular that I've worked with, and they're the, the where I got my very first nurse mare foal, and they are kind. They take it personally when they lose a foal, and so it's easier to work with them. There are inroads being made, and change, change comes about slowly. And I would think it's really important to preserve that relationship. Just saying, that would be a hard relationship to build. For since I've come along, they haven't had to deal with the leftover foal. It doesn't weigh, it doesn't have to weigh on them that those foals have the best chance of survival through me. And let's just be clear, you're not enabling them. You know, it's not like oh, you're no, enabling them. This would go the, on with or without yeah. you. Right. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because the uh, the mares, they'll you can lease a mare from anywhere from like fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars for four months of you. That mare is just you know feeding somebody's baby, and if she wasn't bred before she left, she comes back bred, and she does it every year. I've had mostly positive um, feedback that we are doing valor and we're supporting this, but. I've had maybe two or three people that were negative, like like that this is enabling. To happen regardless. That's not, the money mm-hmm. isn't, yes, I do have to pay a little something for the foals. 
Mm-hmm. But that's to ensure that they can be fed and taken care of till I can get there the next day. Mm-hmm. The money is in leasing the mares. It's it's really funny. You know, you try to do a good thing, and it's not, mm-hmm. I don't even do a good thing. I'm doing a good thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Save thousands of lives mm-hmm. and not really benefited from it personally, but that wasn't my goal. Right. But there are always haters, and haters are going to hate. Mm-hmm. There are people who maybe aren't doing enough in their life that they have time to harass do-gooders. It's, it just happens. I think we're all honor-bound to do something good with our lives. That's one of the basic premises that I live by. That and the old Vermont state motto, which was, hold fast to your dream, but temper your ideal with reality. And in rescue, you have to do that. You can't just take in everything. You can only take in what you can physically, emotionally, and financially take care of. And a lot, I see a lot of people that end up with too many horses, too many dogs, too many cats. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it can happen. Yeah. So, it does. And, and yeah, there's a lot of flack out there, but I try not to let it bother me too much. You, you can't. This was a question I was going to ask later, but it kind of fits now. Because this is an international podcast, it's heavily in the Midwest. But also we have a, a pretty good base in um, Australia and Canada and some in New Zealand. And so cool. I had been, I've been wanting to ask you. So let's just say in Australia, I didn't even know this, but one of our participants and listeners, the harness racing is a huge thing over there. So standard breads, she works at a, a standard bread rescue. Does the standard bread industry use nurse marifles to your knowledge? They do. Not nearly to the extent of the thoroughbred industry, but yeah. So it is possible. You know, I'm, I'm just... I'm a little um, seed planter, spark starter over here. But if somebody's listening from there and they think that what you're doing at the last chance corral touches their heart, um, and maybe somebody already is doing something over there, I have no idea. Start something like what you're doing here in Australia. Um, If, let's just say, that hypothetical situation happens, could they call you and say, I want to repeat this in Australia? Call me from all over the world uh, in, in regard to their sick foals. And, and a lot of people come here with their sick foals because I, they're people that can't afford, you know, mm-hmm. or their vet just really doesn't know a whole lot about orphaned foals that they've got, you know, that mm-hmm. the mare died, et cetera. So they'll, they're calling me for advice, and uh, I would love to help anybody with you know if there's something in my brain which isn't that big <laughs> could help anybody they're more than welcome to pick through and call for help oh that's oh, yeah. awesome so victoria any day now which now we know is tomorrow um you're gonna yep. be inundated with the first full so what does that look like for you when you go try to get those full stable i know these ones you said are a little earlier so maybe they won't be as tricky as the ones you're going to get in a month from now they're healthier they've been on their mothers for two months okay so they're they're essentially essentially weanlings Mm -hmm. you know they're not it's the ones that are just hours old and days old that are or induced preemies so we Um, we talked about that before we started the podcast um this today but so just kind of explain that, that here we are in February, 
Um, the nurse mares weren't quite needed yet. So these foals got their mom's first milk. They've been there for two months. They're not going to be as fragile, these first five. Um, not at all. It's the so, ones that don't get any milk that are really, they're like AIDS victims. It's it's awful. They just, everything hits them. But in the beginning, you'll get foals that were born before the breeding sheds. The, the breeding sheds open officially uh, on Valentine's Day. That's the day we're opening Valor, and I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Wow. Um, okay. And there are some that do breed before that. but So the, the foals that are already on the ground, they've had a nice start with their mums. They're easier to handle uh, medically, but they're so strong and big, and they've never been touched. And <laughs> They're emotional. <laughs> that, and they're very emotional because they were really attached. You know, mm-hmm. so that it's a different set of hardships that they're going through, and they're a little harder to uh, halter train, of course, because they're much bigger and stronger. And so, but, those foals are not the bulk of what you're going to carry, no, because no, we get a few older ones in the beginning, and then at the very end of you know in July and August. But the bulk of them are just. I mean, I've picked up foals that were wet. They were just born, just born. and So, so do they even get to get their the first blossom, milk? Um, usually, yes. And if nothing else, they will take a syringe and put 100 cc's of colostrum into them, and, they, and that should do the trick. Um, legally, they are entitled to the same rights as a veal calf, and that's a full-term pregnancy and 24 hours with the mother. And they are at that point considered a viable life. But there are a lot of people that monitor the veal calf industry because it's an industry, right? They don't want, you know, calves that, um, but they've never been policing of how the activities are conducted because nobody wanted these foals because most of them just would die. Now, there's so much in the past 30 years, so much enhancement of the products that are available for milk and knowledge and you know nutrition and medicine that we can pull most of them through after valentine's day the foals are going to be getting younger and younger that you deal with and so you usually deal with 150 to 200 foals a year so these first five they're going to be big they're going to be established but the ones after that are going to be more fragile so can you just paint a picture um, I know you can because you're an artist, but can you just paint a picture for us that says what this is going to look like soon for you? Like you mentioned the IV fluids and the diarrhea and staying up it's, all it's, night. Yeah, diarrhea is omnipresent. <laughs> and because they don't have their mothers and the need to nurse, they nurse on everything. They nurse on the side of a bucket. They'll nurse on a wall. And yes, they'll nurse on each other and they will ingest things they're not supposed to ingest and 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 there's stress the stress mm-hmm. of it and and of course the stress is going to make them want to nurse more i mean it's just it's amazing the stress they're under and they develop ulcers and it's just a huge constantly battling and you know when you separate the sick ones from the healthy ones and you're constantly bathing them and cleaning up the messes the diarrhea it's uh, shavings are as my second biggest expense. Keeping that place as clean as it can be is a 24-hour-a-day job. Um, we cut back on the amount of big horses we have during fall season. I just don't take in as many 
because I don't have the time. You know, it's, it's you can feed them and you can lead them and clean up after them, but you can't work with them because the babies require so much. There's never enough hours in the day. And, you know, mixing, I'll be standing and I mix my... <laughs> I've got a, a room for milk and medicine and and my washing machine is in there because they generate four to five loads of laundry a day in blankets and towels, etc. And so I just stand in there mixing meds and measuring them out, and we have everything charted on the walls, you know. Thank God that we have a really good vet that comes here every day with the information, do this one to this one and that one to that one, la, la, la. So, Victoria, every year... As you start to get these foals in and all of us horse riders that aren't in warm climates, we've all been, you know, sitting by the computers and um, hoping for warm weather. And pretty soon on Facebook and around shared around there, we're going to start seeing the photos and the videos and the stories that your volunteers put up. And then there's going to be people sparked with this inspiration to adopt. But... I want you to take this time on the podcast to, to spell it out that you do not you do not put foals on hold. You know that Dang. these <laughs> these people need to plan ahead. If you um, are do. truly I mean, interested, you-, you need to plan ahead. And I want you to spell out the the most frequently asked questions and and so people aren't disappointed because they need references. They need references from their vet. They need. You know, references from let other me, horse let people. Let me tell you. Okay. I'm glad you brought this up because it's it is uh, the biggest threat in my life is my telephone <laughs> because people instead of doing the thing that they're the thing I'm about to tell you. Okay. They call me and they want me to recite all this information to them, hmm. and it takes about 45 minutes. And if I get 50 to 60 phone calls like that a day, how do I take care of these foals? What we ask people to do is to go to our website, lastchancecorral.org. And believe me, if they get sparked into wanting to adopt and they've got the appropriate facility and everything, can, you can do that. But they need to go to lastchancecorral.org, and they need to read and actually read. And it's so much information that it really is difficult for it to come up on a phone. It turns out to a, a real computer screen or a laptop or something. I understand. Um, yeah. need to read our requirements and our policies and the frequently asked questions. That way, they will know what they need. They will know what we need, and they'll know... They'll be prepared for the kinds of things that are going to come up. If they read those things, they'll know how to apply. It's not an application. They need we need photographs, and we need I you know my sister Rebecca does background checks on people. She snoops around and finds out if they really have a facility or not. And, you know, a lot of people want things like, I'm going to adopt these foals and we're going to have a barn built in the spring. They'll be in the garage till then. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> you know, you've got to have knowledge. You've got to have a veterinarian and a farrier that will vouch for you. And we've got to be able to Google you and, and find your facility or your home. And it's really nice that you can do that. And because a lot of people, it, a lot of people lie. Mm-hmm. And it's good to want things, but it's more important to know what you can and can't do, what you are and are not 
in a position to do. Right. And if you if you honestly look at and say, like me right now, I don't have room for another horse. I could not do this. So my way of res- of supporting you is having you on the podcast, having Valor, um, advertising you around, talking about you when your full pictures come out. That's my way to help you. Um, and appreciated because a lot of people have no idea that these animals are out there. That's what I was. Need. That's what I'm hoping is to to touch a group that maybe has not heard of you. And we this. have people. I have people that. Uh, I've got two couples that they're older horse people that, because of physical limitations, no longer ride. But they love the groundwork. And every year they take two babies and they raise them and they raise them to their weanlings and they've got them, you know, leading and doing their feet and all that stuff. And then they adopt them out using our standards to some 4-H kids. And that way they get the they get to do what they love and they get to help these falls move on to the next home to the right home you know it's an uh, expediating the adoption procedure because the 4-H kids don't have the knowledge to you know and they're in school they can't be Mm -hmm. feeding these babies all day so I mean opportunities like that that's wonderful you know I, I spoke to a person yesterday who has adopted from your facility she's from Georgia and she was flying back from Hawaii, so she couldn't um, talk to me yesterday. But I'm going to record her today of what her experience has been. And I'm glad you mentioned this couple because her and I talked, and that kind of is maybe her role, too, That because um, she prefers an um, established broke horse. But she does love raising the foals. And so I would put that forth as an idea to somebody who maybe has spare room, I can think of a couple people. And, and they meet the qualifications. That meet the qualifications, and- yeah. But um, I'm thinking of a, a lovely lady that I often have lunch with, and she's been on the podcast, and I'll just call her out, Sandy, <laughs> um, that she would maybe be really good at this. And um, so it's possible if you have the facilities in the heart and you want to help, and maybe you can adopt. And then There's a lot of different ways that you can help. Yeah. Spend- $20,000 a year on milk powder alone. Quality of Mercy is not cheap. Mm-hmm. Can't afford to live without it. I was going to mention that I think there might be a way, maybe I'm wrong, but on Amazon where you can create sort of like a bridal registry, but it's more like um, for rescues where you can say, we need these things. Do you have anything we, like that, that set up? But here's the one thing in regard to the milk. People always mm-hmm. say, well, I'll buy you a bag of milk. and And I have to explain this to them. I buy it by the ton. Mm-hmm. Cheaper. I don't, if I buy it by the ton, instead of paying 150 or $160 for a bag, get it for 103 102 mm-hmm. So you get more bang for the buck for sure. buying in bulk. You see what I mean? It's like you 100%. save a half yep. a bag by buying it by the ton instead of one bag at a time that would you, I couldn't afford it same with shavings if I buy them in bulk I get a discount so you do have a wish list on your website yeah okay I think it might be on the Facebook I'm not sure okay sounds good paint me the picture of what your a successful adopter would have they would have just just they would have uh, first of all they've got to have horses on their property already yes, yes. Because they're going to teach these babies to be horses. Mm-hmm. We adopt them out, the younger ones, in pairs because they need somebody to be with. They cuddle up out there. I, I mean, it looks like a litter of puppies. 
They're all over each other in a bundle. They need that support or they're going to get depressed and the stress of that, they're going to get sick, they won't eat. But if you put these little ones in with an older one, they are going to try and nurse until that animal hurts them. So they have their buddy and and they are, you know, each other's companion. They're going to have to have an adequate facility, and this is outlined on the website, with proper fencing, no electric wire, no barbed wire, no high tensile, because these babies are reckless. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, when they're older, yeah, they can go in a high tensile, et cetera, but they need a shelter and a, a corral where they can be by themselves for the first two or three months, um, and then you'll introduce them, you know, once that need to suckle is goes away, then you introduce them to the other. And in the meantime, you play with them, and you can separate them and how to break them. And, you know, there are lots of things they can do, but they do need that companionship of a buddy. And if they've got an appropriate facility, they've got a vet and a farrier that will write. I, I, I don't care if the vet wants to write. a a book about you that's fine but all i really care about are two questions answered what is the level of care that these people provide for their horses Mm -hmm. and number two would that better farrier recommend these people and their facility for raising orphan foals Mm -hmm. that's all i need to know and they need to send photographs and when they read through the material, if you show up with a really bad hand, <laughs> there's actually a quote of mine in there. If I can't go in your trailer with a sledgehammer and hit the floor, don't bring it here. Um, and it's got to be enclosed. You know, you can't have half doors in the back because you can't tie them and they're going to jump out. So you need to have, you know, it's, it's all common sense. It really is. Um, just horse sense. Mm-hmm. And horse sense is one of the things that I, I like to highlight about the experience of raising these foals. You will never, you never have had, and you will never again have the kind of communication that you develop with the foals that you raise. If you think about it in your life, there's one person who can drop you with a look, and that's your mother. You know when she shoots you that look, mm-hmm. in trouble, and you become their mother, and it's it just becomes inherent the language that you have with this animal. It's like across the board, everybody that comes and shows me pictures says the same thing. I never had a horse I didn't have to train. Hmm. It's like he can hear me think. It it really is. It's amazing. Just a, a beautiful level of communication and trust. So, so that's something to look forward to. Well, <laughs> that's beautifully said. So we'll start to wrap it up here. I know your time is valuable. Um, so how many foals do you expect this year? I don't know. Since COVID, things have been very different. Okay. And, um, um, that, you know, I would say probably close to 100. Okay. What 
can listeners do? We already touched on this a little bit, but just as we're, we're wrapping things up here, what could listeners do to support Last Chance Corral if they can't adopt, don't feel equipped to adopt? Can they go directly to Last Chance Corral? Um, is it .com or .org? .org. .org. So lastchancecorral.org, and I believe you have a PayPal link where they could donate directly to you? If you can't, if you're not in a position to actually adopt, any any donation is welcome because, you know, these foals, by the time we stabilize them and get them ready and out the door, we've got around $1,000 a piece in them. Mm-hmm. It's and 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 we adopt them out for just you know two three hundred mm-hmm. because and then that person's going to invest a lot in their milk. It's not cheap, like I said. But you know we can't afford to just let them die. Uh, if you want, you can make any donation, or you could sponsor a foal. And for two hundred and fifty dollars, you buy the life of a foal. And when that foal is ready and leaves here and gets adopted, that money goes back in and buys the next life of a foal, so on and so forth, and you can make a a difference. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I know it's valuable, and um, we wish you the best with these foals you're picking up tomorrow, and we'll be watching for the photos. And um, keep doing what you're doing. Um, Do a lot of... People use, like, gated horses? Some do, yeah. But they have Passos. They have Tennessee Walkers. Um, the Because uh, we do have a lot of gated babies coming in. And they also use mules. And I did see. And we will have some mules. Those are really sought after for some reason. I, if you're a mule person, you love them. <laughs> <laughs> there are some very competitive mules in endurance riding, yep. I should think there would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are some rugged animals. Yeah. Thank you for having me, and thank everybody for listening, and I hope I was able to convey some solid thoughts about this, and maybe you would like to raise your own foals and your new best friends. Raise the next generation of endurance horses or trail horse. We have a lot of people who... Log miles. My theory is for training horses, I like to train them on the trail. Mm-hmm. There's so much they can learn outside of the ring. Yes, yeah. you need some ring work, too. People say just trail riding. It's like there's no such thing as just trail riding. Your horse loves that trail. You love mm-hmm. that trail. You are out there in nature. You get to see the birds and the deer and the wild turkeys, and it's it's just such a healthy experience for both you and the horse. There's no just about it. Just going in circles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. am out a bounty of nature. <laughs> yes, that it is. It's a bad habit. It's like saying I'm sorry too much, but I think that yeah. goes there. But no, I just I know, and I still say that. <laughs> they call and they're looking for a horse. I say, well, what are you looking to do with a horse? And they say, well, just trail ride. <laughs> and I say, well, you know, that takes a really good horse mm-hmm. out through whatever environment nature throws at him. Or, or happens, it's, you're outside of the ring, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is a reminder to Chris, myself, and this is a reminder to all of you that 
that trail ride, there is no just to it because truthfully, that's where my mind goes when I'm daydreaming about something, when I'm working or something where I'd rather be. Or it's one of the reasons why in our War Horse Endurance group, I say, you know, share your photos, share your videos. Oh, and You be- have to have a tremendous ability to trust that horse and mm-hmm. that horse to trust you. Mm-hmm. Because you can get in some hairy situations out there. You can. That you didn't yeah. anticipate. You it sure just can. Happened. And you can and, get into some serious beauty out there. And I feel yeah. like um, that is my church out there. You know, like that's where I feel close to God. I don't necessarily um, feel close by going to a congregation. Um, I feel closer out there with fewer distractions other than the sky and the flowers and the grass and the beauty and the wildlife. That's yeah. where I go to center myself. And there is no just to it. It is. No, nope, there's and, no just. That is the true then. Well, my friend, it's been so good to talk to you. I always love talking and, to you. And, and all your supporters for supporting us and, and the babies that you saved last year, you know. Thank you. That you, you can to bed at night and you'll sleep good, whatever, but that you helped pull some babies from certain deaths and that now they are somebody's best friend. And by next year, they might be, you might run into them on the trail. And you might never know that they were a last chance corral horse. Yeah, that's so true. And thank you for the bracelet you made for me. Um, oh. And that made my day and the, the way you decorated. And it doesn't bother you. I like good to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I take I, and I braid hat bands and bracelets and necklaces and things from the long horse hair. And I get to see my friends that, you know, time made a burden of years and they slipped away. Part of them is still with me. We lost a horse to EPM and it was so quick and it was so devastating. And I could not, I wish I would have, but I could not bring myself to cut his tail. And so when you decorated that envelope and sent that to me and that's what was in there, you know, it brought tears to me because... I, I wasn't able to do that for Houdini. Um, so it meant meant a lot to me, and it meant to me, um, instead of having that tail hair from him to remind me of the last day I was with him, I have yours, your bracelet that you sent me from tail hair that... And that, and that was, those are from horses that I have had to assist on their journey mm-hmm. off this planet. And we, as we call ourselves horse people, horse women, horsemen, we've taken the trappings of our lives from that relationship. You know, uh, uh, people decorate their homes with horse stuff, and they're, they dress like horse people, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all, as a group of people, but as individuals, owe horses something. They've done so much for us and given us so much of themselves that to take in a horse in need, like once a year, not even a horse that you intend to keep, but call a shelter and sponsor a horse, help a horse, bring it home for a few months, fatten it up, and help it then find its way to a home. We, we owe them that much. To do something just for a horse, not because it's your horse, just help that horse. You want to make sure that they've got 
a warm, safe place to sleep and good food to eat. And somebody who cares. Yep. Absolutely. And I, I know that the tail bracelet you made me was from a horse who was let loose from the bonds of this earth, but it reminds me of the foals that you're saving when I Absolutely. see it. Absolutely. It reminds me of the future. It reminds me of the foals you're saving now, this year, that aren't even born. It reminds me of the ones that you've already done and that you're doing in the future and that we are honored to have partnered with you. So thank you. That's the art of it. Mm-hmm. that's the art of it, and that's what art does. And when you create something out of precious ingredients, as precious as a fallen comrade's hair, that's for the future, that's for the past, and it's in the present. And that's how I see it. Uh-huh. What color was yours? Chestnut, which I have a herd of mostly chestnuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably from my lucky. He was, He was a... He was a prince. Yeah. He was kind of a... <laughs> you know... But you see, know. Oh, see, so you had to go say that. You had to go there. But yeah, when we that was the Appaloosa that we... You had. know what? I used to tell people, I mean, he was just so clever and ornery, and, uh, and I loved it. I'd love a little challenge. And I'd say, yeah, he might be a... But he's my... <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you know what? Um, Houdini that passed away, he was just the ultimate jokester, prankster, get into things. He had this thing about him, and he had so many traits that, I don't know, um, I'm sure this won't make it into the podcast, but the day that we let him go, um, he whinnied a whinny I had never heard. He was already down, and um, he, my husband said this to me, and I felt what Jim said to me, was you would have swore, if you could have seen what he he saw, I swear he saw heaven open because he looked like oh. he was so excited and he, he whinnied and he was looking somewhere when he let go. And um, long story short, but we ended up with a seven-month-old from North Dakota and he has so many of Houdini's traits. Now, I'm not saying he's, you know, obviously he was born at a different time, but I we have barn cameras and one day I looked out on the barn camera checking on the new baby and my heart skipped because it looked like there were two horses in there. And I, I panicked. I'm like, there's two horses. I wish I would have screenshotted it. But what it was that time of day, the light was hitting, um, Joey, the new colt, and it was casting a perfect outline of a shadow on the opposite stall wall. It looked like there were two horses in there. And so I've told Jim, I said, I think that Houdini has visited him (laughs) and said, hey, do these things so that she knows that, you know, I've sent you here, you know, because he does do some of the exact same things. And he was what I would say was my spirit horse. He was the only horse I've ever had who he would come up to me and he would put his cheek on his nose on my cheek and stare me down in the eye. He would just stare at me. You know, and it's like we all like to stare in our horse's eyes. He liked to stare back in my eyes. And he's the only horse in my entire life that's ever done that. Um, he seemed to be able to connect with me and just really be there for me. He's also the one that he could sit for whatever amount of time and you could saddle him. And he might have a little squeal or one little complaint buck in him. But... 
you could take him anywhere. You could ask him to go anywhere. He he was amazing. And I'm hoping Joey turns out to be that way. Joey seems to be very smart and very naughty. He is very naughty. There you know? go. Yeah. We and, love our naughty horses. Yeah. he's. Those are usually <laughs> your lifetime memory horses, the ones that give you grief. So we'll see. Where yeah, he, absolutely. Uh, we'll see where he ends up. <laughs> well, thank you, my dear. I know that you have a lot to do and you have a Thanks. big day. Thank you, but, Victoria, for everything that you do for these foals and for letting us be part of it. It's an honor. And and hopefully some people will become part of it and start submitting the things that they need to so that they can be pre-approved. Because if you see a foal that you want, you have to jump on it because other people might want it too. And if you're pre-approved, you can make a phone call. Yes, get on that now if you even think that this is a possibility because you're not going to be the only person. You know, if they have 100 folds to deal with, that's 100 applications or 50 applications. That's when a lot of work. When we say they're available, that means they have to go because mm-hmm. I, have, I, don't, I can't keep an infinite number here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We want to keep it to where we can care for, you know, adequately care for and have enough space to mm-hmm. take care of a certain number. And then, you know, they come in over time, so it's spaced out. And if they're healthy and ready to go, they can go. And we don't so, want you to be disappointed. If you, don't, and if you don't want to be disappointed, do your, your references in your paperwork now because if that perfect heart horse shows up available and somebody else has their stuff done, they're the ones getting that baby. So That's right. It's, it's, it is important to become pre-approved. Be proactive. Don't get approved when you've already seen that Appaloosa or paint that you wanted so bad because it'll be gone by the time you go through the process. Although I had one woman approved in five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our vet farrier just happened to be at home, and we're able to, you know, send off a email, and she did. But and 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 another part that's funny is that people are sure they are in love with one foal. Mm-hmm. They're sure that's the one, and it the photo just spoke to them. But then when they get here, some other little foal picks them out mm-hmm. and steals their heart. To be in that room with all those babies around you is, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it is, I mean, it just touches your heart. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful environment. And it's right there. I'm just one pane of glass away. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being there, one pane of glass away, because you're the only person I know who is, if you're going to call it the horse of church, then you're the missionary there going and picking the, up the babies and saving them. So. It's the first church of the horse. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I I think we all ride there. I think Absolutely. It's it surrounds the earth, and we all ride at the first church of horse. Yep. All right. Well, carry on, Sally Forth, <laughs> and in the words of Winston Churchill, "Don't let the birds grind you down." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Victoria. Same to you. Haters are going to hate, and we don't care. They can do what they want. That's right. (laughs) We're just going to save the babies. Save the babies, and um, good luck on your trip tomorrow to pick them up. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. If you would like to support the Last Chance Corral, go to lastchancecorral.org, and you can donate directly there. 
And you could also check out how to adopt a foal. If you would like to support this podcast, a great way to do so is go to Warhorse Endurance. It's one word, dot com warhorseendurance.com and join one of our challenges there are a few spots open for valor but i think there's only 12 spots so that challenge is just 25 miles or 25 hours and i know that's not a lot to endurance people um there are much longer challenges on our website so if you go to warhorseendurance.com it's a great way to support this podcast and helps us keep going. I appreciate all your likes, your shares, your listens. And if there's anybody you think you would know who might be around that area to support, to volunteer, to adopt one of these foals, please share this episode with them and share Victoria's website, lastchancecorral.org. Thanks so much.